out, turn to the book of Joel, chapter 3. Let me go back and read one of the verses, uh, or a couple of verses, but I'll, I'll go back into the message from last week uh, in verse number 4, just kind of to set the, the stage for what we're talking about tonight. But he says, Yea, and what have we to do... Have ye to do with me, O Tyre and Zidon, and all the coast of Palestine? Will ye render to me a recompense? And if ye recompense me swiftly and speedily, will I return your recompense upon your own head? Because ye have taken my silver and my gold, and have carried it in, into your temples, my goodly pleasant things, the children also of Judah and the children of Jerusalem, have ye sold unto the Grecians that ye might remove them far off from their border? Behold, I will raise them out of the place whither ye have sold them and will return your recompense upon your own head. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the children of Judah, and they shall sell them to the Sabaeans, to the people afar off, for the Lord hath spoken it. Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles, prepare war, wake up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near, let them come up, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears, let the weak say, I am strong, assemble yourselves and come, O ye heathen, and gather yourselves together round about, thither cause the mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Father, have your way in this message. Lord, just help me to bring the, the truths of your word out that we might understand and that we might be more like thee. Bless the teen meeting there. Lord, the, the young people that are meeting, we ask God that you just bless each aspect tonight. In his name we pray, amen. The title is really taken from one verse, uh, Plowshares, Pruning Hooks, and Promises. As you see all of this kind of pulled together here, I think it'll make sense as we go along and why I went back to verse number four we actually start in verse 5 with our text, but I want to go back and set the, 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 the background because uh, remember he's talking about Tyre and Sidon. And he said, you have, have, have bartered away my children just for, for wine, uh, involved in all the sex trade and stuff like this. But he comes to these verses in verse 5, 6, and 7, and and. He said, you've carried my gold, and you've carried my silver, and you've carried my pleasant things, and you, you've taken them back uh, to your, the house of your gods. And what he's actually saying here is what, that's what the way they would claim victory. There were certain things that the kings would do when they had victory over another nation. First, they would take their king, usually, and they'd cut their thumbs and their toes, their big toes off to where they couldn't do anything. And they couldn't 
move around good and they would bring them back to their palace and they would make them eat at their table and they'd be fumbling around trying to eat and trying to walk and all of this. Just a constant reminder that we have victory over you. And then they would take the things that they had got out of the temple and and their booty and they would bring it into the house of their gods And what they were saying was not just that we had victory over Israel, but we have victory over your God. Your God is nothing. That's why, as you see, when they took the ark in one of the battles with Saul, they took it back and put it before Dagon. And that whole story there. But he's saying all Judah, the land is involved in this, the people are involved in this, the wealth and the things that are dedicated to God and that belong to God. We're all involved in this thing of declaring our victory over you. They took what God had given Israel and they used it for themselves and they used it for their gods. It's not normal spoils of war. They're declaring much more than that. It's just really a slap in the face. I think they call that in football taunting. (laughs) And they throw a penalty for it. Well, for us to take what God has given us and to use it for our own pleasures and and things of this nature, it's, it's, it's like placing the things God's given us before the altar of the false gods. I always have people, when they get saved, they say, well, you know, we're going to go to Vegas. We'll tithe off of that. (laughs) I'll keep your money. God don't need your money that's taken from from gambling tables and stuff like that. It's not that God needs money. He wants wants righteousness. Uh, You know, when we place things before the altar of the devil, we desecrate. All of what God is. His name. We, we tell people out a tithe. Uh, when we take the tithe, God said, you are robbing me just like these people were robbing God when they took is, the, the gold from Israel and the silver from Israel and all those things. He said, you're robbing me, the talent that God has given us. And we use it for ourselves and everything, but yet, We don't use that talent for God, the wealth he's given us, the land that he's given us, our homes, our lives. You can go as far as you want with it. And we take those things. You you see a guy, LeBron James, just broke this, this record. Most points everybody's ever scored in history. So what? God gave him talent. Physical ability, strength, height, all of that. Has he used any of it for God? And one day he will stand accountable to God for those things. For the talent God's given him, for the time God's given him, for that that stage that he has, has allowed him to be on. And has he given any of it, any glory to God? It's not enough to just kind of, when things go good and you say, That's not giving glory to God. Daniel 
chapter 5 and verse 3 says, Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem, and the kings and his princes, his wives and concubines, drank in them. They drank wine and praised the God of gold and of silver and brass and of iron, of wood and of stone. They took what was God's, the precious things that God had set aside and had been dedicated to his temple. And they desecrated them. They used them for their own purpose. I think when, when we have baby dedications, it's a serious thing. And we come and we bring before God. I remember the day we, we, we gave our children uh, back to, to God, Cherry Memorial, the chapel there down by Chattanooga. And we went forward that day and we dedicated our children to the Lord. How dare I take my children and use them for my purposes or just to make money? We've got things all backwards. And we, we think, well, it's just, you know, that's just the run of the mill. No, no, God's going to hold us accountable for all these things. And notice nations, these nations that's fought against Israel. Every step of the way, they mocked God, they, they ripped off Israel financially, they used the things of God for their own purposes, they persecuted the Jews, and it's been that way down through the years. But notice God says, I will raise them out. God says in verse number 7, Behold, I will raise them out of the place where you have sold them. And I will return your recompense upon your own head. God says here that he's going to bring Israel back to their land. And he did. In 1948, Israel became a nation after it had changed hands several times. And then he says God is not only going to bring them back, but when he does, God is going to judge the nations. He's going to judge the world for their wickedness. Look in verse number, number 8, he said, I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the children of Judah. And they shall sell them to the Sabaeans, to a people far off. For the Lord has spoken this. He said, I'll sell your sons. Israel wasn't going to, he said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put your children in bondage. Back to these people. Like the Sabaeans. Well, who's he talking to? Remember back in verse no, chapter or verse number four, he said, "Yea, and what have thou to do with me, O Tyre and Zidon?" He's continuing that same thought. He said, "You really thought you was doing doing something big, and you sold our children. You you sold Israel. You 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 reaped and you stole all of the things in our country and and abused our people and everything." God had been using Tyre and Sidon simply here as an illustration showing that his prophecies are going to be fulfilled and they will be fulfilled in the day of the Lord as he prophesies here. God himself is the one that is going to reverse the injustices done to the people. Don't, don't worry about it when people start persecuting you and they say ugly things about you as far as being a Christian and stuff like that. You, you let God take care of it, but God is going to take care of it. 
And one day God is going to, to pour his judgment out. Uh, he, he did this once in a, in a partial aspect. Tyre was taken by Nebuchadnezzar and then again by Alexander. Uh, he sold more than 13,000 of those inhabitants into that slavery that he was talking about. Sidon was taken and destroyed by Artaxerxes. It said over 40,000 of those perished as they burned them. And their children went into slavery. Just as God fulfilled his judgment upon Tyre and Sidon, he says, I will fulfill my judgment upon this world. There's nothing more fearful than to be put into slavery. It's worse than being a, a servant to somebody. You're a slave. You have zero rights. There is nothing. You are nothing but property. And they, they cast lots, he says, for my people. They sold them. And some of the children of Judah were sold to the Grecians. And you see that in verse number 6. He said, the children also of Judah and the children of Jerusalem have you sold unto the Grecians that you might remove them far off from the border. They sold them. Judah would sell them to the Sabaeans. The Sabaeans were those people, what we call Yemen today. And that's where the Queen of Sheba come from. And they took God's gold and they took his silver and they put them in the temple and they desecrated the things of God. Uh, these Muslims come in there and they desecrate Israel and, 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 and politicians. They use them. Uh, they don't, most of the politicians could care less about Israel. They use them for political purposes. And they'll sell them out in a heartbeat if they think they can get some gain. Look at verse number 9. Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. Wake up the, men, the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. All those who are Gentiles. He didn't say part of them. He said all of them. The entire world is what he's, he's going to be working with here. He says get ready for war. Wake up. Wake up those mighty men. He's commanding that they gather the world together. You see how the world kind of came together a little bit during COVID. They started cooperating with nations and things like this that they normally would not cooperate. They opened their pocketbooks and started shelling out money to, to folks they normally wouldn't give, give them time of day. And that was just over little old COVID. But this is going to be a worldwide thing. He said, all the men of war, all that you have, all of your mighty men, he says, come up. It always refers to when he says come up, it's always talking about Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the center of focus. And when it didn't make any difference if you were up in the north or you were down south or east or west. It always says you come up because in Jerusalem is the center of everything. That's why the world focuses around Israel, not around America. It's always focused around Israel. And it will be at this time as well. Look at verse 10. Here we come to our 
our theme this evening. He says, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. You got that picture of the plowshares, brother? Uh, Most people have no concept of really what a plowshare is. Uh, that one off to the to the right there, or, or excuse me, on my left, uh, that's that's a plowshare. We think of a big plow and it's turning over the ground and everything. The old plowshare basically was just about like this. It just simply cut a little bitty old line in the in, in the ground, and that's why he says, "Beat your plowshare shares into swords." Can you see how that would become a sword? Then he says, and your pruning hooks. A pruning hook was used to prune the vines. What they tended grapes and stuff. It was a short knife with that curved hook a little bit in the end that would sharpen then inside like a sickle. But you cut that little point off, sharpen it on out, and put put that on a stick and you've got a spear. And what is he saying here? These terms are referring to time periods. Time periods. Now remember, we're talking about Armageddon and we're talking about the millennium. And, and, and you, so many times these are individual events. But if you, if you remember, Armageddon is a period of time. It is one specific time. Just a few days, not weeks, not months, just a very short time later, the millennium begins. So when you're dealing with these time factors and time periods, uh, they don't stretch out for a long time. The tribulation is seven years. But when the Armageddon comes, it don't take long for Jesus to destroy them. And then just maybe days later, the millennium is established. And this has to do with both Armageddon and the millennium. Notice when he's talking about Armageddon, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Why? He says prepare for war. We're going to have a battle. We're going to have a war here. The day of the Lord is at hand here. But then the opposite you read in scriptures, and sometimes this confuses people. In Micah chapter 4 and verse 3, he says, And he, he shall judge among the people and rebuke strong nations afar off, and they shall beat their swords in the plowshares. And their spears into pruning hooks. And nation shall not rise against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. Why the opposite? Because they needed these implements for war for Armageddon. But just a few days later, they're going to go ahead and beat their their swords into plowshares. Why? Because they're going into the millennium and there's no more war. They're not going to be fighting. They're being the kingdom of God, the kingdom of, of, of heaven. And for a thousand years they will remain there. 
the swords and the plowshares and the, the pruning hooks, spears and the pruning hooks. That's talking about the millennium. That's talking about a peaceful time. But in Joel, it's not just the military. Uh, military folks, they don't use plowshares. Farmers use plowshares. Uh, the military don't use pruning hooks. The, the wine dressers and, the, and those type of people, he said everybody is going to be involved in this. Not just those that are in the armies. Everybody all around the world is going to be participating in this battle. Everyone's going to be involved. And anything they can get to, to use as a weapon, uh, they will. They'll turn it into a weapon. Now, notice it's, it was interesting. It, it says, and let the weak say, I am strong. <laughs> the weak. What's going to happen here? The weak think they're heroes. The weak think they're strong. And they're going to go out and fight in the battle and they're going to get these plowshares and, the, and all of this and they're going to attack the enemy. You say, nobody be that dumb. Well, I have seen videos of, of child soldiers in Africa. When Coney captures them and messes with their brain, they will literally, he said, these clods of dirt are really grenades. And when you, when you attack them, he said, you, the bullets will bounce off of you. And these clods, you throw them at the, the enemy, and the enemy will blow up. And I've watched them run into the, into the battle throwing clods. But the bullets didn't bounce off. And the clods didn't blow anybody up. But they just kept going. When you play with people's minds, They'll do anything. You look at how the entire world became sheep and just followed what was told. And even us, the believers, fell right in line. Most people. Now notice in verse number 11, assemble yourselves. Assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen. And gather yourselves together round about. Thither, thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge the heathen round about. You had the pruning hooks, and you had the plowshares, and now you have the promise. God says, I am going to judge. Everyone's coming together. As you, as you, we'll be talking about this in our prophecy course and things. And uh, and if you're not enrolled in that, I, let me encourage you to do so. We're going to go through Matthew 24, verse by verse. We're going to go through the, all the tribulation, all this stuff in, in quite a bit of detail. It, it's just truly amazing. But but understand. They have seven seals that are opened and the wrath of God begins to be poured out. The seven trumpets will be poured out. The three woes, the seven thunders, the seven bowls. And at this point, five billion people 
on this earth will be dead. We're not talking about a million or so around the world that died of COVID. We're talking five billion people, God says, will be dead at this point. You talk about total confusion and you talk about people that will fall right in league with the Antichrist and think, as they have been playing mind games, they think they will overcome God. And they will go to fight in that battle. Total chaos and no repentance. Notice he said, all the heathen, all ye heathen, every lost man on the face of God's earth will gather together. In verse number 11, notice he said, assemble yourselves and come all ye heathen. Gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause the mighty ones to come down, O Lord. What we have is the judgment of nations. As God at this point brings all of the nations of the world, all of the lost people on the face of God's earth will be destroyed and cast into hell. The false prophet, the Antichrist, they will be cast into the lake of fire immediately. But all of the rest of the lost people on this earth, not one exemption, will be cast into hell. For a thousand years. The judgment of the nations. He said God's mighty ones are going to come down. In the second part there of verse, verse 11. The armies which are in heaven. Notice this. I've had people tell me. Well this is, this is Israel raising from the dead. That's not what he said. He said these armies which are in heaven. Joel indicates that God's mighty ones will be among them. They will be the angels of God that come down as his army. We will be with him. But these are the armies of God. Scripture records the ability of these mighty ones. When Hezekiah was asked the Lord for defense against Sennacherib, he said, we're, we're, we're in trouble here. We need, we need your help. God sent one angel. And 185,000 people woke up dead. 185,000, the entire army. It says when they woke up, they were all dead. That's just one angel. When forces came to Elijah and his servant, and the servant was, was scared, he was alarmed, and Elijah asked God to kind of peel back the the, the, the curtain there, and, and it says, And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. God's people come to his rescue. God's angels, his army. Since the 70th week of Daniel is not over until the end of the tribulation, until the, the battle of Armageddon is finished, that's when Christ returns to the earth and fights that battle. Then the Old Testament saints cannot be reunited yet. The Old Testament saints have not risen yet. They don't rise at the rapture. 
That is simply the tribulation, or excuse me, that's just the church that rises at the beginning of the tribulation. The tribulation saints and the Old Testament saints raise at the end to go into the millennial reign of Christ. That's why Daniel chapter 12 and verse number 11 says this, And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away. All right, you have to have a temple for the sacrifice. It's not built. When that temple is built, then you will have sacrifice. And at the middle of the tribulation, it says the Antichrist will break his treaty. And then he will commit the abomination of desolation. Not just offering a pig on the altar like one of the fellows did, back, one of the generals did, Antichius Epiphanes. He said, this man will stand there claiming himself to be God. And the Jews, God will open their eyes. And it's a whole different ballgame. So that has to take place. He continues and says, And the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. But go thou thy way till the end be. The Jews will remain in in their state until the end of the tribulation, till that end be the day of the Lord. For thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of the days. When that time period is fulfilled at the end of the tribulation and the battle of Armageddon takes place and God begins to set up his millennium, they are raised the Old Testament saints are raised, but they are not in this army that comes down. Revelation nineteen fourteen says, And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine white linen, white and clean. That's, that's the armies from heaven. Jeremiah twenty five thirty one: A noise shall come even to the ends of the earth, for the Lord hath a controversy with the nation. He will plead with all flesh. He will give them that are wicked to the sword, saith the Lord. You have book after book after book telling the same thing, the same story, pointing to the same time. And it's God and his angels coming in that army to destroy all of mankind that are lost upon the earth. So how could you get that, all these armies together? That was my question. I said, okay, Lord, how are you going to do this? <laughs> Revelation sixteen fourteen. For they are the spirit of devils. Watch what these devils are doing. Working miracles. From the time of the apostles and Jesus Christ, when the miracles were finished, and God said, when my word is complete, those signs shall, shall be done away. They will cease. The next time that miracles are talked about being done is by the Antichrist and false prophets. Notice that miracles, all these miracles that people are supposed to be doing, that wasn't even heard of back in history. That's a modern day phenomenon. That's a phony as, as, as 
phony as you can get. And they've exposed many of them, but they're, they're, they really are. They're phony. How's he going to get them? God says this spirit of devils is going to come and work miracles through them, which go forth and the kings of the earth and of the whole world. Here's their purpose to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. The purpose of the miracles was not to bring people to Christ. The purpose of those miracles was to bring them to the Antichrist so that he can lead them against Jesus Christ. And what's God going to do? He said very plainly, I will sit to judge all the heathen round about. God himself. That's what he says, Jehovah God. I will, I'm going to come to judge. There's an interesting verse, if you doubt the deity of Christ, he says in John 5, 22, for the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Why? Because Jesus is God. He's God. Isaiah 66, 15 says, For behold, the Lord Jehovah will come with fire and with his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by sword will the Lord plead with all flesh, and the slain of the Lord shall be many. Do we realize who God is? Do we realize the, the omnipotence, the power of our God? Do we realize how, how much he hates sin? And people, we, we, we think we get away with sin. We don't. We don't. And when you begin to read and you begin to see what Jesus has promised, what God himself has promised, he said, oh, I'm letting it go for a while. But there's coming a day called the day of the Lord. And he said, it's all over but shouting. He said, all the world, I'm going to bring them all together and I will destroy the heathen. God hates sin so much. Little sin, big sin, don't make any difference. He hates sin so much that he would become the sacrifice. That he would allow his own son to die a horrible death on the cross. At the hands of the very people that he was coming to save. And God says, I haven't, I haven't just covered all this up. It's all going to come out in the wash. He said, during that day of Christ, the day of the Lord, which is coming soon. He said, my wrath is going to be poured out like you cannot imagine. We, Joel hasn't hardly talked about any of this. Yet you can sense and you can see the seriousness of all of this. But when you get into Revelation and you begin to see what's happening, and how it all correlates. 
Isaiah says the same thing. Jeremiah says the same thing. Amos has already said the same thing in that study. And now Joel in just three chapters. And as you get into the book of Matthew and in the Revelation, and he begins to pour all of this out, and you see how much God hates sin. I wonder what respect and what honor and what fear do we really show God? Do we honor God with our lives and our talent and our money and our homes and everything? It doesn't make any difference what anybody else does. They're going to stand in their shoes. And when I stand in my shoes, it scares me to death. I'm going to stand before God. And he said, and I read in my devotions this morning, and he said, when that time comes, do not be weak. Do not be faint of heart. Don't have pity on the enemy. They deserve everything that God is going to pour out. Now you put yourself in the place of Israel. And this guy's out here picking up sticks on the Sabbath. And they bring him to Moses. And, and Moses said, well, what are we supposed to do with him, Lord? And God says, kill him, stone him without mercy. Now, you know what that means, Miss Betty? You're going to have to pick up a rock. As sweet as you are, you're going to have to pick up a rock. And you're going to bash his brains in. Honey, you're going to have to pick up a rock. Not me. I'm going to pick up my own rock. Every one of us would have to pick up stones. Have you, have you ever seen somebody stoned to death? It's absolutely horrible. That's what God said to Israel, you do it and do it without mercy. When it comes to the things that are going to happen in these battles and everything, you begin to understand how much God hates sin and how much you and I should hate sin. And all of this, God says, I just want you to know, the same thing that I promised to Tyre and Sidon, he says ten times, a hundred times, a thousand times worse when it comes to to the day of the Lord, I'm going to pour out my fury and I'm going to destroy all of the lost. You know what that means? Some of your neighbors are going to be there. If the Lord tarries his coming, some of our kinfolks going to be there. We need to get serious about soul winning. We need to get serious about taking these tracks out and and give them to people and, and say, hey, yeah, come to our church. Let me, let, let me sit down. Let me talk with you. Let's have a cup of coffee. I'll buy you lunch. Let, let me go through this track with you. And share the gospel before it's eternally too late. Because if you've looked around, our world is not getting any better. And I believe with all my heart that it's all just around the corner. You say, well, what if it's not? If it's not, I've lost nothing. I've won people to Christ. If it's not, I'll stand before Jesus and I hope he'll say, well done.
we must get serious about telling people about Christ. War's coming. Are we ready? We're ready if we're saved to go to heaven. But we haven't brought our, our, our kinfolk. They're not ready. And we have to get serious about this. And that's what he's telling us. And that's why he's been warning Judah. He said, you've got to get serious about this. And for a little time, Judah did. But then they went back. And rebelled against God again. And God did exactly what Joel says to them. Father, help us to make sure that we are prepared, that we're saved, and that we're right with you. But God, I pray that you would help us to get a burden for the lost people in this world. That we would take gospel tracts, that we would invite them to church, that we do whatever is necessary to bring people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ so they don't have to go through all that's coming in front of us. Lord, bless us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor.